Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As we are asking hard questions of Jesus, today we are asking this hard question. Is Jesus really the only way? The only way to what, <laughs> you might ask. The only way. Is Jesus the only way to receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life? Is he? This is a very real question, and most of the people from this congregation and most, most Christians, I think, who ask this question, ask it not because they're doubting their own salvation, but they're wondering about everybody else. Because every one of us, I, I believe, know people firsthand who don't know Jesus or don't believe in him for whatever reason it might be. There are those who have heard it and reject it. But then on top of that, there are also, when we observe the world, there are people who have never even had the chance to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ, whether it be in a remote village in the jungle or, believe it or not, even in a house in your very own neighborhood. And so in all of these things, as we look at the world, we say, why? How could it be like this? And what about the people who never had a chance to hear? Is it, is it really possible that they would be eternally condemned just for being born in the wrong place? And at the wrong time, how does all this work? The simplicity of our question today is this. Is Jesus really the only way? And plain and simple, when we look at the Bible, there is a plain and simple and short answer. And the answer is yes, he is. Yes, he is. I could show you many, many passages in Scripture. I could point you to many stories in the Scripture. Frankly, the entire narrative of the Scripture tells this story. But I want to show you just three examples, kind of short and sweet, that make this point. Here's the first one. Jesus says this in Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In the book of Acts chapter 4, Peter says this. There is no other name under heaven given by which man can be saved. And within context, he says that name is Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the deal. Jesus does not just want this for some people. He does not just offer this to some people. The great truth of the scriptures as we know it is that God desires that all people would be saved and that on his cross he died to pay for the sins of the whole world. So we believe that this is true and as we uh, talked about a couple of weeks, we also read again today this passage and I'll, I'll quote it again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So here's our dilemma, though. And I, I need to be honest, from a purely rational human reason, logic standpoint, here's our dilemma. 
The Bible says Jesus desires all people to be saved. It's right on the screen for you. So Jesus desires all people to be saved, and we've read that Jesus is the only way that people can be saved, yet some people are not saved, and we know that this is true. So how does all of this work, though? How does all this work? Jesus desires to be people to be saved. Jesus is the means by which they are saved, yet some people aren't saved. See, I think that there is another question that we want to ask. There is a question beneath this question, not just the question, is Jesus really the only one who can, be, who can save, but also this one. Now it's time. <laughs> I think we want to ask this question, because Jesus is the only way, and because Jesus wants everyone to be saved, then why are some saved and not others? Isn't this the question? If we believe the scriptures, Jesus wants everybody to be saved, Jesus is the way to be saved, then why is everyone not saved? And I'll be honest, this is one of the hardest questions that there is for people to wrestle with, especially those who take the word of God seriously. People who study the Word of God are called theologians. To be a theologian literally means to read the Word of God. So I'm not just a theologian. Every one of you who read the Word of God, you're theologians in your own right. And theologians, the academic sorts, have even a Latin term for this difficult question. And and now you know if there's a Latin term for something, it's got to be serious, right? So here's the Latin term for this problem. It is this, the crux theologorum or translated, the theologian's cross. When we're trying to wrestle through the question, why are some people saved and not others? This is a cross where theologians, people who study the Word of God, here's what has to happen for us. We have to die for our desire that our human reason can have all the answers. Our desire for our human reason to have all the answers must die. And instead, we must live according to the Word of God and what God has revealed to us in His Word. So on the cross, on this theologian's cross, we have to die to our human reason and logic and we have to live according to the Word of God. So I have to be very clear with you today. If you are looking for a purely rational answer, one that makes perfect human logical sense to this question, why are some saved and not others, today you are going to be disappointed. Okay? You'll be disappointed. I'm not going to give you an answer that will be sufficient in your human reason. But if you are okay with letting the Bible speak where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent, you will be content with our resolution today. Thankfully, Jesus takes up our question himself in today's gospel lesson, Luke chapter 8, with the parable of the sower. So I think let's let Jesus speak to us for a moment here. Let's just think about it. When, when Jesus lived, as he preached and taught and did his miraculous work here on earth, there were some who believed in him, who followed after him, who loved him. And there were also people who hated him, rejected him, and wanted him dead. Even when he was here in the flesh, there were some and there were some. Some who believed in him and some who did not. So, why some and not 
others. When Jesus is asked this question, and this is what we're going to do today, when we ask Jesus the question, hey Jesus, how is it that some people love you and follow you and others hate you and reject you? This is Jesus' answer. A sower went out to sow his seed. Jesus tells a story about a sower, somebody who has seed. And then Jesus explains that the sower is Jesus in this parable. The sower is Jesus. The seed that he is sowing is his word. And what is his word but his love for people, his offer of forgiveness and grace and eternal life? So Jesus is the sower and he sows this seed of forgiveness and life. And then finally, the last part of the parable is what kind of soil the seed lands on. And the soil is us. (laughs) We're the dirt. (laughs) And here's what Jesus says in this parable. As the sower goes about sowing his seed, some of the seed falls on the path, the path that's packed tight and the ground is hard. And when the seed lands there, it is trampled underfoot and it becomes eaten by the birds. Jesus explains this parable and he says, those people are ones whose hearts are hardened to the word of God for whatever reason it might be. And because their hearts are hardened, the word of God does not take root in their lives and the devil then comes and snatches them up. This is what Jesus says. Some of the seed that the sower sower sows, some of that seed falls among the rocks. And Jesus says that some of those then grow up quickly. But because they're growing in rocks, their, their roots don't grow down deep. And what Jesus says is these are people who hear the word of God and at first rejoice with great joy in it. But then when tribulations come and difficulties come because they believe in Jesus, they wither and fall away. Jesus also says that some of the seed falls among the weeds and the thorns, and those plants are then choked out. And so Jesus explains this and says, those seeds fall on soil that begins to grow, but then is choked out by the pleasures of this life, the riches that this world can offer, and the plant would rather grow those things instead of the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's Jesus' point in this? He's saying the sower is good and the seed is always good, that word of forgiveness and life. Jesus basically says that the problem ends up being what kind of soil it lands on. You or I or what kind of people and their hearts and desires are. So the fault is not with the sower. You could say the fault is with the soil. But then Jesus also explains that there is some good soil in which the seed lands. And when the the seed lands in that good soil, it grows and it bears much fruit. And that kind of soil are the ones who believe in Jesus Christ. But let me be clear, the Bible is very clear that our hearts are by nature sinful and unclean. And so the soil is good, not because it is good in and of itself, The soil is good because it's willing to receive the seed. And the soil becomes made good by receiving that seed of eternal life. All right, this is the way that God's word works. 
God's word works where and when and how it pleases. God does it. God sows his seed all over the place and God works. And I have seen it firsthand. I have seen it firsthand in the lives of people. People uh, who I've been in relationship with who have seemed to be so far from the good news of Jesus Christ, if you looked at their lives, at one point their lives would have been hard. Every, one, every kind of soil, the hard soil, the soil that pursues the world's riches, the, the kind that withers and fades, and yet somehow in the end, when the word of God is received by those people, they turn into good soil and they bear much fruit. And some of those kinds of people are sitting in this room even today. I've seen it with my very own eyes, people who the opposite kind of thing has happened where they've received God's word and then for some reason it falters and withers and fades away. But Jesus said all these things will happen. That's why he gives us this parable of the sower. I've seen God work like this with the way he sows his seed. I've also seen it happen in a practical example in my very own garden at home. Let me give you an example. Last summer, in our garden at home, a plant started to grow, and it looked kind of like a cucumber vine, which we had planted at first. And then after a while, when it started bearing fruit, we realized this wasn't growing cucumber. And so we, we left it because now we're curious about what it was. And it started growing and growing, and we grew cantaloupes in our garden. I didn't know you could grow cantaloupe. We didn't, we didn't plant the cantaloupe. I think my best guess is the summer before we had put some cantaloupe in our compost and the seed made it through the winter and then into our garden and then cantaloupe grew. The seeds do what the seeds are going to do when and where they will and so it is with the seed of God's word. His word is always being sown in this world and it works where and when it works. I'm sorry that I cannot perfectly answer the question for you today about why some people are saved and why others aren't, why they reject him or why they haven't had a choice or an opportunity to hear him. I'm sorry that I can't give you a perfectly logical explanation for that. All I can do is speak to how the Bible speaks and I can be silent where the Bible is silent. So the Bible doesn't deal with a lot of these why questions, but the Bible does deal with a lot of who. And so let me remind you again today about how significant and different Jesus is than all of the other options that the world will throw at you. So I want you to be confident in who Jesus says he is, but then I also want your lives to be so moved by his seed that you also become participants in desiring to sow his seed in this world. Let me tell you once again about the good news of Jesus. There is no other option in this world besides Jesus who comes to you in your darkest times. In comparison with any other religion or way of life in this world, Jesus is the only one who has stepped foot in this world and therefore, I will tell you, he is relevant for your daily living. Here's how Jesus is relevant for you. Jesus is relevant because Jesus has walked in your shoes. Jesus is God in the flesh. He took on flesh. He took on sin 
He took on suffering. He took on death. And he rose victorious over it all. There is no other religion in this world that this world can uh, imagine that has a sufficient answer for the problem of your sin and your suffering and your death. If you ask a Buddhist or a Hindu about their hope or about the forgiveness of sins, they won't talk in that language. They will tell you about karma and they will say, you just got to look out for what it is that you do and make sure that you're better now than worse. If you ask a Muslim about the forgiveness of sins, a Muslim will tell you that they have no confidence in the forgiveness of their sins. They never really know. They are always left wondering. And they just hope that in the end, their good deeds will outweigh their bad. If you ask any self-help guru in 21st century America what it takes to live a happy, healthy, successful life, they'll come up with some kind of answer for you about eating well, exercising, getting the right amount of sleep, and making good decisions and being nice to people. But in all of these things, whether it's the official doctrinal religions or just any other option people come up with that's not Jesus Christ, every single one of them tell you that you must pay, that you must get your life right, that you need to make the right decisions, that you need to amend your life all on your own. Every single one of them tell you that you need to straighten up. You need to make your life better. It is all on you. But Jesus' way is totally different. Jesus does not say, here is the way, now go and do it. Jesus says, I am the way, and I am here with you. Let's do it. Jesus is the one who is with you always. He's the one who comes directly to you. He's the most relevant, loving, practical solution to your problem of sin and suffering and death. He knows your thoughts. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. He knows your sufferings. He knows your ultimate death, and he's victorious over it already. Therefore, he is with you right now. He's not asking you to make yourself better, but instead he says to you, I will sit with you while you are sick. I will hold you while you sulk. I will be with you as you die, and I will rise with you to everlasting life, raising you up on the last day. My friends, Jesus is so different. I pray that you see the distinction. He's so different than any other option this world can offer. And the, the one he offers is for the whole world. Christ pays for you. You don't have to pay for yourself. He pays for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He lives for you. He's with you. You don't need to find your way to him. He's found his way to you. This is what he does. So all he's asking you to do is allow your heart to be fertile soil. That means listen to the word of God. Allow the Word of God to be at work in your life. And when the Word of God, that grace and love of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins works in your life, your life will be changed. He will do it. He will do it. So be fertile soil and then also be participants with the sowing of the seed. If you care so much about those who don't know Jesus, don't just sit here and say, why don't they know about Jesus? 
Go and do something about that. Sow the good seed of Jesus Christ in this world. Jesus is not careless when he scatters the seed wherever he wants. So it's not careless for you to go and do the same and speak the name of Jesus Christ and live according to his grace wherever and whenever you go. So go, be fertile soil, sow his seed. In Jesus' name, amen. One quick announcement. Are you ready to hear next week's question? We've got two more weeks in this hard question series. Next week's question is this one. What about heaven and hell? So as we talk about our eternal destiny, what does the Bible say about these things? All right. We go in God's grace and in his peace.